Hello, I'm Thomas, and this is the KAANP, the Knoxville Area Artist Networking Platform. And here we talk to artists about themselves, the art they make, and where they make it, kind of. So yeah, stick around, give us a listen, enjoy the show. Is the um, the bar sounds? We are in Hardin Valley Casual Pint. I hit the record button late, so I had to repeat that. Um, so if you hear the hum of a beer cooler or bar patrons, understand that we are in public, and y'all are gonna have to deal with it. So here we go. I'm here today with Garrett, and he does some really cool stuff. I'll let him introduce himself. Hello, Garrett. Hi, my name is Garrett Turland. Um, I grew up in Colorado. I Went to university at Colorado State University and worked in the power and, um, yeah, power industry for about 10 to 12 years. So now I'm, I'm doing art full time, so I really, really like it. So what got you from Colorado to Tennessee to art full time? So there was a job opening at uh, ORNL, Oak Ridge National Lab. And uh, I moved here, they, they moved me here, and um, I started working in the uh, spallation neutron source, which is a scientific source of neutrons, and um, had a great time. Um, decided to quit after I was, I was spending too much time on my, my side hobby, which was making bathroom signs. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know what, let's see if this, uh, this business works and it's still working so that's good well there you go how long how long has that been it's been uh, about two years since I quit quit the job but it's been I've been selling signs for about three or four years all right so signage was really what pushed you over the edge to make sure this is a thing you wanted to do that's right uh, did you do anything before signage are you a generally a creative person outside of your professional desires I how long have you been arting is generally yeah. how I like to ask this question so I was I was doing I was really starting to get to get excited about art in Denver when I discovered how easy it was to program LEDs. So programming <laughs> is a big part of, of my art, I think. So uh, programming LEDs as well as 3D printers to do artful things is one of my favorites. So um, I was creating sculptures with LEDs that would flash in certain patterns, um, different types of LEDs. But then I discovered 3D printing in about 2015 and got my first 3D printer, and here we are now. You know, that's oddly similar to when I picked up the 3D printing bug, I suppose. Uh, I've got two printers, they're both FDM printers, and they're in my studio, which is like an eight by 10 room in my house. Yeah. And, and uh, I've, I've been bitten by the bug, so to speak, and I used to work at uh, Local Motors just up the hill over oh, yeah. there, so I was exposed to some very high-level industrial 3D printing, and, and that really kicked off my interest in the, the creative aspect of it. Sure. Um, so, so what do you do with your 3D printers? So um, right now I, I spend most of the, most of the time um, on the clay 3D printer. Yeah. And it's a homemade printer that started as a plastic printer, and now it prints... Um, you can change the nozzle size right now, a four millimeter nozzle that I can print 450 millimeters high. 
So almost half a meter high, so I'm excited about that. So for scale, my printer at home has a four tenths millimeter nozzle because I have a 1.75 right. filament machine. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's 10 times bigger than the machine that's I have right. at home, yeah. nozzle size. But uh, you use clay, ceramics. And mm -hmm. is, that, uh, is that a traditional ceramic material that you just feed through your printer or yeah. is that something specialized? It's the same thing, you just add a little more water to the clay. Makes sense. Um, the, one, the, the one that I like has got some grog in it, which is, uh, it's been cooked once, yeah. or been fired once. It's a little, little bits of grog in, in the clay with it. It helps it uh, keep the form a little better. And um, I've been collaborating lately with Brian Wilkinson. Yeah, he's, uh, he's another one. He's on my radar. Yes. Yeah, he's definitely on the radar. His traffic cones, and I think I saw the, the printed traffic cone that you all collaborated That's on, right? right? Yeah. And it had the wonky top, and, yeah. I, and I loved it because the style of machine that you have mm -hmm. and 3D printing FDM in general, mm -hmm. tall, skinny things is difficult. It is, yeah, <laughs> especially the top where it gets, gets all wiggly. Mm -hmm. And so that was not intentional, you know. We, we were hoping for a straight top, but the fact that it came out that, that way was great. Well, I don't think it would be a proper goon if it didn't have some squarely characteristic to that's it right, uh, that's as right. per his work. So I was really excited to see that collaboration. I'm really excited to be here talking to you about this because I'm nerdy about the 3D stuff as well. So um, let's let's get back to this for a second. What uh, what mediums other than, did you ever do any like drawing, painting, any like traditional quote unquote artistic I, mediums? I'd say it's all been 3D. Every bit of it, all digital yeah, stuff. I'd say so, yeah. So no watercolors, no acrylics, no pens, pencils. Nothing. Yeah. Ah, that's that's a really unique <laughs> uh, entrance into an artistic career. Most people, you know, that I've interviewed so far, know in my life have uh, have some sort of traditional m medium introduction, whether it be right. watercolor, or pen and ink, or you know, you know, anything you would be exposed to in a in a formal educational environment like that. Right. Um, so you've been using your 3D printer since 2015. Yeah. When did the clay come in to the picture? Let's see. I think when I, there was an Indiegogo, which did like a Kickstarter thing, and they uh, offered a 3D printer kit for 150 bucks. Was that the 3D Potter? The Cerambot. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, 3D Potter is, a, is the more expensive version that's owned by Roan State Community College. No way. Yeah. I had no idea. So, yeah, they, they own the, the big 3D Potter, which is another half a meter size um, one. Oh, that's crazy. I had no idea they were affiliated. Oh, yeah. they um, Brian was the guy who uh, applied for the funding, and he built it himself. Oh, okay. So Brian was the guy behind that. So um, the cone was printed on that printer. So, yeah. Um, I, I got the, the Strandbot kit, which is a smaller smaller um, size of clay that you can print. Yeah. Like one-third the size of my current print, printer. So it, um, I could print smaller pots, I could, and I had a smaller kiln, too. So I was printing smaller things. Yeah, those, that's one-to-one. -one. You want to make big things, you have to have a large kiln, that's too. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so after um, my friend Nathaniel actually... Um, brought me a used kiln uh, for free, which is great. And Sometimes you can get them that way. Yeah. People, when people want rid of them, they really want rid yes. of them. <laughs> and, and Brian has the same experience. People give them to him because then they know he'll make use of them. So yes, yes. I got some new filament, I mean some new uh, coils inside. The, <laughs> not the, it's like a filament. 
But yeah, I got some new, new coils in there and uh, new switches and stuff. So I've got, got a big kill now. And um, that's when I started doing the big, the big stuff. Yeah. And, and when you say big stuff, like what, what size is the big stuff? Um, I've, I've tried to print, you know, the full size of the printer that I have. So, so max volume. Yes, maximum. <laughs> yep. And, and you said that, you said how tall it was, but repeat that for me. Yeah, it's about half a meter or 450 millimeters. Okay. And, uh, and it's a Delta style printer, so yes. it has a round cylindri cylindrical uh, print volume. Yep. All right. Uh, mo most FDM printers are square outside of the Delta format. So what, what made the Delta format really suit oh, your needs? The, the biggest reason is it doesn't move the print as, as you're printing um, a part. It saves ah, quite. Yes, you're right. Because the print bed doesn't move, where it's so triangulated, everything it's the very head moves in that, all directions. It, that it stays put because um, if it moves left, the pot-a-bot does move around. It's harder to keep the the things stable enough so they don't fall over. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, a stationary bed is is a, a big big mm -hmm. deal here. Yeah. Um, so, do you remember the first thing you printed out of ceramic or uh, out of clay? You know what? One of my early um, in inspirations was uh, Taekyeom Lee. He is a, a professor who does these um, geometrical prints, and and um, it was it was like a multi like a strawberry pot, which has a bunch of spouts that you can yeah. put little strawberries in. So I was doing those like the first thing. So I was inspired. <laughs> so you're swinging for the fences right off the bat. That's right. right, right. Yeah, <laughs> and and you would see stuff like that for like um, oh what sword succulents and all that kind of thing. That's right, normally right. what you'd see that in. That's so you really just went 100 yeah. right off the bat, and and sometimes I look back and I'm like, man, I was really going for it. <laughs> that was very ambitious. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you're not really pushing it, are you? Uh, what what are you doing? Yeah, I, I actually went back to my earlier design, which is a uh, a, a hand that's like kind of crushing a globe of the Earth. Yeah, and I wasn't able to make it 500 percent size. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> So how big was it to begin with? Just like uh, six inches or so? About 200 millimeters tall, okay. yeah. Sorry, everything's in millimeters. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's the, the metric imperial conflict in this conversation is going to be a funny one to listen right, to, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so was there a reason you couldn't make that happen at 500% scale? Would it just not support itself under the weight yeah. of those materials? I think if I had a... Five or six millimeter nozzle that might help. The I still held a four millimeter, and I, I could also put supports in. So that's internal supports that support from the inside. Yeah, I was just trying a one layer print that would have one continu continuous layer all the so way. So the the layman, the layman vase mode, pretty yeah. much for yeah. for this piece. I yeah. like to call it. Um, there's a, another inspiration, Jonathan Jonathan Keep. He calls it a computer-aided coil building. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. That, uh, that makes sense. Uh, there's, there's a thing in glass blowing called coil potting. Yeah. Where you uh, take a rod of glass, twist it into a coil, much like the, the ceramics you're talking about. Yeah. And uh, that's how you mix color in a, certain, oh. in a certain workflow. You mix color like that. Sure. So it's, uh, it's very entertaining to see that workflow across different mediums. Um, what... Uh, how, are you pushing the boundaries for yourself right now in some way? Yeah, because I've, well, the, I, I do have a um, a new kiln. Um, I've, I've, I'm trying I'm trying to think of that, but um, 
the 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 infill is a, a bi big part of what I'm doing lately. Is like adding infill intentionally so it's exposed to the to, to the viewer. So that's you know the all these all these vessels are open, correct? At on the top. Well, right. yeah, only on the top. I've got I've got some shell like. For instance, I did a skull that has um, the bottom has the outside of the of the shell, but then the shell kind of falls away in incre increments. So you start seeing more and more of the infill as it goes up. Yeah, I, I believe I saw that. You posted okay. a little bit about it. Yeah. You use it for a flower pot, right? Did you put a flower in there? Well, you know what? Brian gave me an idea on that one. Oh, did he? He said <laughs> it, it. He said there's six prominent uh, holes at the top. There's a few more holes, but six that are big, and you could put beer bottles in there oh no yeah. <laughs> so you just be walking around with a head full of beer bottles yeah oh, that would be cool <laughs> you know what yeah. i like that yeah i like that a lot <laughs> the, the bottles would have to be like three times the size and height but the right. smaller in width you know yeah that anytime i see anatomy and you know uh put through that workflow and that mm -hmm. that material process i really enjoy it uh I, when you see uh, uh educational tools like um you know, skulls, jawbones, you know, anything anatomical for an educational setting that yeah. comes out of a 3D printer, I really enjoy. And uh, I saw I saw the skull, and I was like, ah, oh, I put my hands on my face. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, look at it. So that, that was really neat to me, and uh, I feel as if that that is a really um, unique application for the material and the workflow. Yeah. And it, it's, it's um, oh, what's the word? It's relatable because everyone has a skull. Yeah, that's It's right. very grounding. You know, Brian helped me with uh, finding that inspiration, too, because we had a face that we cut the forehead off, and you could see into the infill. Yeah. So then the next step is to try cutting more and more off and show that infill. Was there was there ever, uh, we're going for this type of aesthetic goal, or is it just let's see how far we can push one aspect of this or the other? Yeah, it's, it's also programming, because if you don't, if you don't program it uh, accurately, it'll push the the coils around where you don't want them to go. Yeah, that makes sense. So we want we want them to cut off cleanly and then go to the next spot and start cleanly. Um, so do you program, do you write all your own G-code or do you leave that up to your slicing ha software? Like half and half. So okay. the slicing is about half of the work and the other is writing the own, my own in uh, Rhino Grasshopper. All right. So you, so 50-50 on your own custom G-code and is that for like retraction settings, layer starts and stops? Usually uh, with the, travel speeds, all that kind of thing. Well, with the Rhino, I don't have any of that. I just have one coil, you know. Oh, because it's that. It's, okay. a, it's I gotcha. a, a vase mode. Yeah. Uh, so, so what do you tweak in that? So layer height. Um, you know, when it starts, you start. You change the speed of the print and the flow. Yeah. So those are the two main things. And um, yeah, you just change those and um, hope it doesn't collapse. <laughs> All right, so before we talk about the, the how things go wrong, can we talk about your inspirations? Uh, and that can be across any genre of art and life. Like, who who have you tried to glean from? Who who inspires you in a way that just, like, really makes you want to get out there and do something? Um, well, there's um, there's a, a, a an artist called Hammerly, or Kurt Hammerly. So I like what he does with his uh, printer. Um, he also uses his printers to make molds for his all of his uh, dinnerware and uh, glassware. Oh, so he makes uh, you know ceramic earthenware glass, you know all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, makes mostly mugs, but also bowls and other things using the three D printed and molding method. 
So that's one inspiration. I had uh, Taekyung Lee, um, Jonathan, Jonathan Keep, and, uh, and now Brian has been a big influence on my work too. He, he's Knoxville-based, correct? That's right. Excellent. Um, so, so is there any particular parts of these people's uh, output that you really try to put into your output? Like, are there, are there any direct inspirations into your work that you pull from theirs? Oh, yeah, for sure with, uh, with uh, Brian. Um, but I also like to see what, what can be done just pushing the edges, you know, yeah. trying to make so it doesn't collapse. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what's been the worst collapse? The one that just struck you, uh, just the one where you just like threw your arms down and cussed. <laughs> it's, like, it's one of those ones where you, the print looks great and you're like, you're pulling off the printer just to go let it sit down for a while and you jerk it and the whole thing falls over. Ah. <laughs> uh, so do they normally collapse in on themselves, or do they slump over, or all the above? Usually, usually to one side or the other. <laughs> <laughs> so it's never the implosion, just, uh, uh, just uh, a lazy blunt. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I can only imagine how, uh, how, how uh, what's the word I'm looking for, how, uh, how sad that is, because... You know, you've waited for it to be done, yeah. and you've watched a little bit of it, or maybe mm -hmm. a lot of it in my Most case. Of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and then you're just like, yeah, time to go let it sit, and then exactly, yeah. Uh, what when my prints mess up, I like to say I've created uh, expensive spaghetti. That's right. So, what is is there an expression you have for your failed prints, and when your prints fail, what do they look like? You know, other than a slumped worth, over, it might be worth saving a, a failed print, um, depending on how bad it's failed. You know. Well, can you? Is it easy to recycle your? Uh, oh yeah, that's yeah. the great thing with uh, clay is you can just mash it up. You can either try to put more water in it or just put it in your reclaim pile, which can be watered or added water later. So yeah, it's really easy. But how do you how do you determine when to use it? I got, I don't know. Sometimes you can move it with your hands to try to reshape it. Um, Is that a, that's a finesse part, right? Like I you guess. just know when you touch it. Like yeah, this, this, we can use this. Yeah, you, you you can't like wait a day and do that later. You have to do it right <laughs> then. You know. So you kind of get your hands wet so your hands don't stick to the clay and um, don't push too hard. You know, we could have it collapse again. You know. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I'd say that's definitely, is that the most finesse part? I guess so, yeah. Well, another hard part is getting the print off the, the bat. You use like fishing line to peel it off of yep, there? Yeah, that's one way. Um, I like to try to let it sit just to the right point where it's just dry enough, then you can just lift it off. Is that like a quick snap or is it just a really slow well, like, you, peel? Well, you kind of go left and right, you know. That's uh, like, uh, you can feel it where it's sticking to. A jostle? Know? Yeah, a little jostle there. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I use fishing line a lot in my in my day job to remove like badges and stuff off the car. So that like loop and pull and sort of sawing motion, I'm I'm very familiar with. I'm sure, that's, yeah. That's, that's uh, it's probably one of my more tactile, enjoyable parts yes. of my job when I get to remove badges. Yep. Then the then the worst part is I have to clean up the adhesive after that. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and then you kiln fire these pieces, right? Yeah, there's two kilns firings it's a bisque kiln and then the final glaze fire if i don't want to use glaze then i'll just go for the final fire but usually i like to put some kind of glaze on it now do you have any uh, color preferences for your work any brand preferences for your glazes like uh, what um, what do you like of that yeah um 
I, I, I don't try to mix my own glazes, which is beyond my ability at the moment, but, um, you know, Amico, uh, Coyote Glazes, Mako, and um, the one that Muddy Mud has. Um, yeah, those are all good. I like mixing them up, um, putting like a darker color first and then a lighter color on top to see if it makes a different uh, appearance. I would imagine the the layer orientation and you know how you Number apply coats, yeah, yeah. And, uh, would create a good contrast between the different coats of glaze. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's a lot of trial and error. Um, I Really, I should probably be making more test tiles <laughs> where I can test my pieces before I do a whole a pot. Yeah. But I like, I like to just kind of wing it and uh, see what happens. I, I mean, if, if you don't leave a little bit to chance, are you having less fun? <laughs> I'm having more fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I will say in my experience with printers, you know, you walk out of the room and you walk in, you hope that things don't go awry. Uh, have you ever opened the kiln and things just aren't oh, yeah. right? There's, there's glaze that runs right onto the kiln shelf. <laughs> just falls right off? Yeah, it seems to fall off, you know. Like, sometimes it goes all the way around the piece, and you have to, like, use a hammer to get it off. You know, that's oh, man. So it really solidifies it's really on, sol the, solid, on yeah. the, the, the fire bricks in the kiln. Yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. Well, those being porous, it doesn't help. Yeah. I, <laughs> um, Brian likes to use fire bricks. I, I just put my stuff right on the kiln sh shelf. Okay. So that's the, the, the I guess, the stock or, or factory... Uh, Stone yeah. in there. Yep, you can buy shelves that are um, more durable than fire brick. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, the kiln area of this workflow is, is beyond my understanding oh, because I don't ever work with those. Uh, that's that's really cool though. Uh, the color. Are there glazes that change color after firing? Oh yeah, I'd say almost all of them do. Almost all of them. Well, to to some degree, some of them change dr drastically, like from white to red or something. Okay, yeah. that's crazy. So that's like a, a striking color in in, so, in, in glasswork. Yeah, so like I mentioned Kurt Hamerly, he has some great Instagram posts where he does before and after shots mm -hmm. in his kiln. And some of the changes are just amazing, you know. That's crazy. I'll have to check that out. Um, what, uh, what other ways are you trying to push it right now? Are, are there any like one specific angle you're trying to perfect right now or any any task or workflow you're trying to well trying um, to get into brian has encouraged me to make some plastic molds for for clay okay so i haven't done that yet um where you can you can press the mold in using just a wet clay and press press it in with your hands or you can make an entire um mold for slip yeah. which is like wet clay now, is that a positive and a negative? Like, you use the positive for the exterior and negative for the inside? Or? Yeah, that, that's that's something I, I need to get into. You okay. Know? You can do it either way. All right. That's probably the angle I would take because yeah. making molds and, and some, you know, those types of applications and more tooling yeah. is something I'm a little more experienced with with Good. my workflow. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've made... Uh, you know, I've made resin casts as molds, you know, to, to pour resin into for all kinds of various shapes. The only thing I haven't done is really made um, a mold specific for using with silicone. Oh, yeah. yeah. I haven't I haven't made any any molds to hold silicone to make positives for things. But um, when I find that need in my workflow, I will certainly do it. That's right. That's um, right. 
So can you walk us through your workflow? Do you have sure. a specific workflow? So in the morning, <laughs> I, I wake up and make some signs. <laughs> and at the, while they're printing, I'll go to the, the Rhino, or sometimes I'll use uh, Tinkercad or um, Fusion 360, and I'll come up with a new clay design. Um, I'll, I'll try it out in the slicer, or I'll try it out in the... Um, yeah, usually it goes into a slicer so I can run through the how each layer will come out. Right. And then uh, it'll be um, sent through, G, um, through Google Drive to my, uh, to my other um, computer where I can load it up and print it out. But um, I've got my studio in the basement of my Airbnb, which is another property. Um, so I can I, I go back and forth between my house and the Airbnb. So you don't have your studio at home? Nope. Is that inconvenient? Yeah, it's it's also messy. You know, <laughs> I can have the entire basement full of uh, dust. You know, clay yeah, dust. That's true. Yeah. And, and I, then you go home. And, and then you go home. There's no clay dust. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a very convenient setup for keeping I, the house clean. Yep. Yep. You don't track the dust everywhere. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> well, obviously you can't escape it, so you come right. home with a little bit. That's right. Yeah. Uh, is there any part of, like, do you have any, uh, I need to turn on this song before I get ready to do my thing, or do you have any, like, processes inside your workflow to feel comfortable or anything like that that you like to, any groove you like to set for yourself while you're working? You know, I just try to j just look at what the other people have done on mostly in Instagram, and and sometimes I have the, the form in 3D, like a, a basic form that I can put embell embellishment on, but sometimes I'll, I'll say, oh, I need to change this a little bit or change that. And it, then it looks nothing like what I saw on Instagram. And I'll say, oh, time to start over. <laughs> when, the, when the expectations versus reality doesn't really match yeah, up. Yeah, it's like, I need, to, I need to move this a little. I need to add that. Oh, no, it doesn't look anything like I had. Scrap it, go again. Yeah, yeah. So do you say you, most of your workflow is, uh, okay, so let me ask this in a better way. Uh, how much of your workflow is on the computer and how much of your workflow is the robot doing the work? Oh, wow. Well, it's uh, it's mostly on the computer. Yeah. Um, I can also play with other uh, 3D prints while the the robot's doing its right. thing. Like I can pull things off of the bat or, um, you know, clean up edges and stuff while it's doing its thing. So, yeah, it's mostly on the on the laptop or on the computer as well. And then once you click send and print, you're watching, I'm, manicuring. I'm listening. Yeah. yeah. The, the funny noises that they make yes, is a really good indication noises. of things that go wrong. Yep. Um, uh, in, in, in the normal plastic filament sense, it's like a grinding noise or yeah. any like, uh, you know, stepper motor clash yeah. or, you know, or if you hear a crack, like mm. something came off the print bed and fell over. Yep. I've that heard happens. all these things. That happens. So, what what noises in in your application make so, terrible outcomes? There's there's two um, clay delivery mechanisms on on my printer. Your microphone's sagging a little oh. bit. Yeah, see. So I've got two ways of making uh, clay come out of the nozzle. One one is the um, the piston pump, which is driven by a gear, a uh, 30, 30 to one ratio gear, and the other is a uh, an auger, which mm. has it, it just spins all the time. Um, so sometimes the auger gets hung up because it tries to start too quick or um, 
I think it's starting too quick. Is that like an over-torque situation? Yeah, something like that. Um, I need to... F I need to get to the bottom of it. I think changing the acceleration settings has helped, but um, yeah, if I hear that noise where it goes, I know that the <laughs> when you, you hear teeth against each other. Yeah, it just can't start. You know, it yeah. just stalled. So if I hear that, I just run over to the. <laughs> I know there have been days where I'm sitting on my sitting on my couch and the printer is you know down the hallway in the studio and I just hear kink. Uh, and yeah. something has fallen over on the print bait or came loose, and I just run run through the house with my arms in the air. Ah, <laughs> no! Mm -hmm. So another way that I'd like to push the edge or push the boundaries is to, to kind of take Brian's advice. And once it's done printing, I need to find a way to, to do some more decoration, handwork, add a, add a handle. I've already added handles. I'm getting pretty good at it, but I need to add, like, other spheres or squares or something like that to, to join things together so that's that's probably my before I do the mold making um, you, thing I think I want to do some more hand built stuff as well so you're going to use the the printer to make the main vessel and you'll add some attachments or maybe three other 3d printed parts right yeah, yeah. because you know you can you can put whatever on there like, that's right yeah now is that is that could you print all these things at the same time and then pick one up and stick it on there um, What's what would that look like? Because if you had to have this the main vessel waiting and then this yes. happen and then put yeah, it yeah. So there. I've I've printed some flat pieces. They're like only two layers thick, thick, and uh, have it had them say I I pour water on them, say say yeah. wet, and then then I print the main vessel and I've tried to slide those in there as it's printing. Ah, okay, I see. So I've been able to put it in there, kind of curve it around, so I can actually um, curve it. So it fits into an upper part of the print as it comes around. Gotcha. So you, you're tailoring that physical piece to where it's at on, on the right. print while it's in process. Correct. Excellent. That's, uh, that's one of those uh, scenarios where if you don't do it right the first time, it's kind of screwed, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it can crack, too, because it's getting dry. The at flat. a different rate than yes. the rest of the piece. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That's a handful. Yep. You really set yourself up to stay busy on that one. That's right. You, you're <laughs> gonna have to wash the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> that that's uh, it's definitely a handful. I can't say I've ever attempted something like that. Uh, I have attempted like mechanical fittings and interlocking pieces. And, oh yeah, man. Like, the the tolerances you have to have and uh, the patience, <laughs> the patience and the tolerances are probably the worst part. Or or I have least patience to do those. So if you get uh, impatient with the fitting stuff together. The cool thing is glaze can fit, uh, it can uh, melt stuff together. Oh, yeah. So, like, putting a smaller part on top of a, a big vessel and then you cover the whole thing in glaze, that, that'll that melt it together and you got a bigger part. There you go. That's neat. Um, are there any shapes that are just straight up no-nos? This is going to fail every time. Like, large overhangs are generally, oh, yeah. no matter what, FDM printing is difficult. Well, Sometimes I, I look for uh, overhangs that are extreme because they can actually droop down in clay. Yeah, and I've seen you. It almost looks like um, crochet or, or some needlepoint, that sure, kind of yeah. fabric work. In, That's more in, of yeah. the grasshopper type of thing. Okay. Um, but, yeah, getting those overhangs that droop, droop down is um, definitely one of I love doing that. I, I happen to find that very aesthetically pleasing. So, Thank you. yeah. Keep on that. Okay, will do. <laughs> That's good stuff in my book. 
Uh, and and then you fire those, and they have all their own individual texture. It's unique to every piece. Sure. Like once it comes off the print bed, it's it it becomes individual after that. Like, that's right. There's yeah. no there's no there's nothing that's ever going to be the same about another piece. That's right. Even if it's the same print file, same G code, that's same right. everything. Yeah. I I love that. Um, what uh, are there any disadvantages with this medium that you like to capitalize on? To capitalize on. The what disadvantage, you, like if there's something you know that wouldn't work uh, elsewhere that you try to employ here because you think it'll work. Um, well, you can make stuff that lasts a long time. Right. So with PLA, you can't even put it outside and expect it to last very long. Yeah. Um, this will last for a long time. Um, right now, I'm, I'm just making some tiles, you know, for like a, a tiled table, you know, so um, not, not very uh, difficult to do, but, you know, it'll last a long time. Um, I'd also like to try to put some concrete inside a, a, a wet print, actually. So you can use, um, you don't even have to, to fire it. So you can have a wet print, pour the concrete in, and once it's done, you just kind of pull the clay away, and you have um, something that's negative of what you've created. And then the, the thermal reaction in the concrete, as it sets, does it do anything to the clay, or you just peel the clay off after that? You know, what I've seen people do is... Um, I, yeah, I'm sure it gets a little warm, but I don't think it really hurts the clay right. very much. But I've, I've, never, I've never tried it, so that'll be another. I mean, how, how hot is a kiln oh, that, that you that you 2,300 degrees, you know. Well, I'm pretty sure the concrete doesn't get that hot. No, yeah, it's, yeah, maybe 100 or something. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Um, yeah, so so then, then all the sculpting is on the inside, and the outside yeah. of that vessel can be whatever. That's cool, yeah. Yeah, so you know, any support you needed or structure otherwise, you can just pretty much build that inside of a solid cylinder, and then you have the open space inside that sure. to do whatever. Yeah, you can put a bucket in there to make the, the center hollow. Yeah. So I'd like to try that too. Man, that sounds like a ton of fun. You could really get some crazy sculptures like that. I yeah. like that idea a lot. Um, there's... And you could get just as much detail on the inside of that vessel as you could the outside. That's so right. It's, it's untelling what you could produce that way. Mm -hmm. Plus, you get the, the added fun of another medium, another workflow. Yeah. You know, that that truly becomes a mixed media experience at that point for the artist, not only the the spectator as well. I guess. I've actually tried it with um, PLA prints, mm -hmm. and I've made a mold for concrete and put a bucket in the middle. But every time you do it, you have to put Vaseline on the outside. Yeah. And your hands are so messy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the mold release shenanigans, I think, no matter what kind of mold and what material you use, is always a mess. Like, There's even be a the good mess. sprays, it, uh, they're, they're messy. Yeah. yeah. Like, you just sit here and rub your fingers together all day and it, they just slide. Yeah. Um, do you have any projects, you know, sitting in the back of your brain right now that you're really trying to toy with before you commit some action? Well, Every time I see a 3D printed house, then <laughs> yeah, of course right I'm gonna want to. <laughs> I'm gonna want a printed house sometime. Man, I, I'll tell you right now, if I could have a 3D printed underground home, I would be all for it. Because if you could print me a dome home, if a dome home could be printed and then yeah. covered with more earth, mm -hmm. please give me that. Okay, I'll have it. Uh, that's that's dream stuff right there. Home homeowner experience like. Uh, all underground, passive heating and cooling, solar water, like mm -hmm. all that, like totally sustainable from the ground up. It's like crazy. an earth chip type of thing. Almost, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't need a greenhouse, but yeah. Yeah. I would definitely like to have some sort of, um, uh, you know, water filtration environment in, in, yeah. in that scenario. Mm -hmm. 
definitely I think that's important. Uh, but I've seen underground dome homes that are just, you know, built into a hillside. And I was just like, this makes so much sense. Why do more people not do that? Yeah. I, I started to look, look at how to 3D print in concrete. And it, it's really, you have to have a good um, mortar mixer. Yeah. The consistency is key. It has to mix and has to pump it out through a pipe. And um, what I found that's available is like $16,000. So, like, oh, man. Yeah, the machines are out there. They're very expensive. And I think uh, Icon is one doing it in the United States. And there's a German company that just printed the first, like, government-approved residential structure in Germany. And I'm all over this stuff. I really, really hope this technology takes off to become a a quote-unquote normal thing. I mean, I I wish I could get into it like it's, uh, like, Dogecoin when it was young. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, I'm pretty sure that's at like 50 cents today. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, I've seen, uh, I've, I follow a couple people on, on Instagram that do large scale, um, I think they call it terra printing because they use natural materials from the site yeah. to build the structures. And they've done stuff out in the desert like, uh, you know, um, parabolic structures that have a fire pit and stuff inside of them. Yeah. And I just, I love it. I really do. Like, you know, from large scale format, that's that's definitely the the way to go for the future. I think because if you're using on-site materials and yeah, it's gonna fit where you put it because it's gonna be made out of the same stuff. But you know, moon dust is pretty good too. You yeah, know? exactly. It's very very um, um, what do you call it? Very brittle or not uh, sharp? It's sharp grains. You know, yeah. most of the the sand we find around here here has been blown around by the wind. Yeah, not on the moon though. <laughs> and it's very fine as well. Like mm-hmm. it's not, uh, it's it's much finer than sand. When sand versus moon dust, like yes. you could really, if you were to look at one speck side by side, you would like, God bless. What did this? Where did yeah, this why sand? Is this, <laughs> why is it tearing up my hands? <laughs> it's it's crazy if you look at those two things under a microscope. And and they've done, like uh, they've made what. I'm trying to think. I feel like I've seen really small, like compressed powder, like impregnated. Uh, things made out of moon dust as, as experiments by NASA or someone. I'm sure, I feel yeah. like I've seen that. Um, and then, you know, people talk about, you know, 3D printing structures on Mars out of the Martian soil. I'm just like, oh, my God, please, can we try that? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't see why not. If it works so well, you know, here, why, why can it not work well there? We, Get it. we know the variables. Yep. It really – I think uh, this technology – as far as uh, 3D printing, whether it's uh, SLA or, or FDM, and regardless of whether it's ceramic or plastics, like the, the additive manufacturing is such a revolution in manufacturing technology in general. I'm, I'm a big fan to seeing every new space it becomes a, a, a profitable application. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's really entertaining to see, you know, this company, oh, we're going to 3D print these, we're going to 3D print those, you know, like... Uh, Porsche just started doing like uh, brake brake piston assemblies out of okay. titanium and aluminum, so it's it's wild, and that's a uh, uh, centered metal powder. Oh yeah, and that's that's so neat. I, I love that stuff. Anytime you can get lasers involved, I'm here oh, yeah. for it. <laughs> lasers are always good. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's it? I normally ask this question first, but I was so excited, so. What is it like for you being a creative person in East Tennessee right now? 
with with the way the world and society is at the moment? So, um, seriously, I, I I really don't mind the pandemic, you know, being alone all the time. Um, I just wake up, uh, do some mail out some signs, and go to my my clay studio. But um, I'm sure that in the future I'm going to want to move somewhere else, um, try to get somewhere a little more um, urban, so I can kind of I don't know collaborate with more people, yeah, and see what see what's going on in the art world. Is there is there a specific place in mind for that goal? Um, you know, I grew up in Denver. Okay. So I I'm always thinking about Denver. Um, but yeah, anywhere that's kind of wild, wild, uh, good outdoor uh, community, uh, Asheville maybe. Yeah. Um, I've spent a lot of time over there. It's a it's a fun place to be. Yes, it is. Yeah, uh, been to Denver once. Went there for my 28th birthday and had a great time. And went between there and Colorado Springs. And uh, I went to the Red Rocks Canyon open space in oh, Colorado wow. Springs. You know, I've lived in Tennessee my whole life. Never have I ever before then seen a, a rock that was the color of my hair. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is a color. That's right. The, the clay dirt out here is really close, but that's not a rock. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was just like, man, this is cool. And uh, first time I'd ever looked east and saw flat land until the horizon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, I was standing on top of an 11,000-foot mountain looking east just in mm-hmm. awe. It was yep. wild. So. Uh, I can imagine growing up there and being around that all the time was it's amazing. Great, yeah, yeah, groovy. It's groovy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is groovy. I, I greatly enjoyed myself, so I I do hope to get back. Mm-hmm. Um, goodness, what uh, are there any inspirations outside of of the clay ceramic uh, you know environment that you really try to incorporate into your workflow? So I was playing a game called Abduction. Abduction? Yes. <laughs> okay. And it's a, a successor to Mist. You know, Mist, the old um, uh, f- like click click and uh, find your own adventure. Oh yeah, I'm, yes. I'm familiar with that style of game, but not that yeah, one particularly. Yeah. So there was some great artwork in the in the game. One one was like a, an arch door that had two parts to it. So I kind of used that idea to make some. Um, some pots and I was a- able to upsize it for in my new printer to like three times the size so that was pretty cool they they kind of sagged a little bit but um, soon they're in the kiln now so ho- hopefully they'll uh, come out good so when you open up the kiln it'll be Christmas or yes, not <laughs> it'll be Christmas yes <laughs> hopefully it's Christmas yep, yep that's always the hope like is it gonna be the way I put it in here Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, architecture and the video games. <laughs> okay. Well, and you know, this is a conversation I've had with other guests. Uh, video games and entertainment mediums are rich sources for inspiration, and I really enjoy it. Uh, I, I was speaking with Matt Shelton here on the show about, um, oh God, Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. When that came out, he was really, I'm sure he's still playing it, but it hasn't been out that long. Um you know, he was talking about a lot of the wardrobe design in that particular uh, bit of media. and or lack know, of war- wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's uh, there's so much richness into building an environment like that that people really feel immersed in. That If you just stop and look at it, you can find really unique things most of the time in a lot of different forms of media like that. And, um, you know, that, that was a big source of textile inspiration for him because he does a lot of screen printing and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, that, that was where he drew a lot of inspiration and you know when I I play a lot of video games and um, 
I'd say right now, like um, the new, the new, the new. It's not new, but Marvel Spider Man when it came out, like, mm-hmm. I, I got it a couple months ago, and like, there's, there's. Are there you a are PC char- gamer then? Uh, no, I'm on PlayStation. Okay. I'm not a PC gamer. If I was, I would have some stupid overbuilt PC because. You know, i just one of those guys that when I find a hobby, I just dive in, you know, head first. And I just, there are things I've not gotten into because I know how deep I would go to the rabbit hole. Oh, yeah, too much, yeah. <laughs> too much. But uh, there, there, there are character designs in that game that just look so good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really appreciative of that extra work, no matter where you find it. Like, it didn't have to be that good, but it is. It is, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, just anytime something just like comes across out of nowhere, and it's like, oh man, that's did, awesome! Did I, you get your hands on a PS5? Not yet. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, not yet. I'm I'm not gonna play no scalpers, but I do want one. Yeah, I want one too, and I'm surely not paying a twelve hundred bucks to get one. Yeah. Uh, I know it's worth six hundred, but it ain't worth twelve. Yeah. And besides, my PS4 works great right now, so Dude. I can't I can't fuss. Um, if, if I didn't have a Sony, I would have a PC, so I, that, that's how it is. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I have friends at PC Game, and they're great, and I have friends at Stream, and they have a good time, but I'm just, I'm not there. It's <laughs> yeah. just not what I do at the moment. Okay. Uh, I like it, though, and getting really nerdy about how people build their, build their PCs is great. Like, yeah, me too. That's, that's a whole other realm of creative output all by itself. That's right. And you know what? I need RGB lights on everything, most oh, of these people say. I can help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> if I could make them sweet, mm-hmm. cool, but I just don't like the normal color changing. Like, oh, sure, look yeah. at it. It just cycles through the color wheel. Oh. No, you won't have that if, if you let me work on it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk. <laughs> but you know, uh, RGB lights are really big in, in PC setups right now, and uh, bless a lot of people's hearts for overusing them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I don't feel shamed for that opinion one bit. Y'all can right. do that what you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All my friends that build their PCs and put lights on everything, I give them hell. <laughs> it's just what I do. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, do you have a, a custom PC setup for your computing needs in this, in well, this yeah, genre of art? Well, yeah, I built mine about, about five years ago, so I need a new, new one now. Oh, is it, is it obsolete now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using a 11-year-old laptop to do everything. Wow. It's, it works just fine, okay. but it's definitely outdated. Yeah, I didn't use the top-of-the-line components when I first built it, so now I do need some better, better computer. So... Um, what kind of needs do you have out of a setup specifically for your workflow? So Rhino has been running pretty slow on my computer. So that's a, a Rhino Grasshopper. And I think I need a good graphics card, uh, even though I'm not playing games, and I need a fast CPU. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the slicing software is lean heavy on the graphics card. Oh, sure. Just, just to make all those calculations for yeah. the movements and such. Like it's. I sit there and I, some slicers work faster than others, mm-hmm. and it's really amazing which one does what yeah. at, at the time. So, I, slicing softwares have come so far. I like how last, different like, they years. are, too. Yeah. They're not all the same. I've got on my computer, I have installed right now Pathio, Cura, Prussia. Um, I think I have, um, I have the Cura slicer. That's, that's the normal one I use in, in Repetier Host. And then. Skyforge, S-K-E-I-N, and Pronterface, I yes. think. Yeah. 
I have a few of them because they, they're all different and they have different options for supports, infill, all the stuff. You know, if you know what end game you're going for, you know what tool to pick yep. if you're familiar. So that's, that's a fun bit of software. To play I recently with. downloaded, I think it's called Raise 3D. And they can, you can put a, an image onto, you can emboss an image right in the slicer. Oh, that's like a, is that velocity painting? No. Have you, actually, have you seen that? I've seen that. Okay. But um, yeah, you can, you can make uh, height differences in the okay. slicer based nice. on the image. Um, and then, you know, litho paints. I've only printed yes. one successful litho paint in my oh, entire why? 3D print. Why? Why? I don't know. Every time <laughs> I try and hit those buttons, it's just yeah. like, nah, man, nah. Oh, well, I, there's a, a great site called... I don't know. There's, it's one one web, web website you can go to, and it'll make the best litho it just paints. Spits out a G code for oh, you. Oh yeah. Oh it's man, easy. I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah. I'm gonna have to find that. Uh, that being said, that's not a very common part of my printing workflow. So I, the one I did do successfully was uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, like the oh, classic yeah. head bust of Frankenstein, and I did it out of a glow in the dark PLA. Oh. So great. it was really neat. That's neat. And I'm pretty okay with that being the only one I've successfully completed yeah. so far. Uh, it was a birthday present for a friend of mine that lives in California, but uh, yeah. I actually went to the, the uh, Alien uh, show. What's it called? The, the Knoxville Alien show. I don't know anything X-Con, about this. XCon. That's what it was. Right? Oh yes, yes. The the actual convention for yes, extraterrestrials. I, I had yeah. a booth there for my 3D printing, and I did a bunch of lithopanes. I did a bunch of uh, aliens, all sorts of stuff. I had a great time too. So. Uh, the first thing when you said aliens, I was like, H.R. Geiger, yes. But no, it's actual extraterrestrials. Well, I, I, had, I had a lithobane of Geiger, of course. Oh, okay. Of, awesome. uh, of aliens, yeah. <laughs> I think it would be really hard to separate the two in, in, in the time. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people that were there enjoy good science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there were some Star Wars guys there. There were some um, Ghostbusters <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> Might as well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you would think that's more of a fanboy expo thing, but I guess not. It was fun, though. Well, that, that's what matters. Yeah. Uh, how big was that? How many people do you think were there? Uh, I, I'd say there was two large aisles left and right, so I'd say like 100 s- sellers there. Okay. That, that's not small. No, it's pretty that's big. That's not small yeah. at all. Anytime you get 100 vendors at any one event, that's a good that's event. That's good, yeah. <laughs> well, and that was a good time? Oh, yeah. Awesome. I recommend it. Uh, you met lots of interesting people, I'm sure. Sure did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, did, so it was just uh, just polymer printing then? Uh, yeah, when, I hadn't, you were there with all I hadn't gotten into the clay yet. Okay, so this was pre-clay stuff. Yeah, yeah. So where where does the bleed over stop between those mediums? There's no bleed over. There's no, it, none it, at it all? It doesn't start. Okay, so you can make clay molds with, with plastic. Right. Um, you can use plastic as an armature. Uh, you can burn it away in the kiln if you want to. Yeah. Right? Um, I wouldn't recommend using too much uh, pale in the kiln. It'll kind of burn or make marks in your kiln. Right. Yeah. That burning that out in the kiln would not yeah, be. Yeah. Not. Yeah, you don't want to do mass amounts of that. I can. <laughs> I can understand how that would be a problem. But yeah, there's there's so much uh, overlap. It's great. Um, what. Have you, have you integrated any of the PLA other than the molds into your workflow like that? Let's see. Well, I've, I've created the clay printer out of, um, out of plastic a, molds. Yeah. So 
I've broken a few, few parts as I was pushing the clay too hard. Um, I've got like a collection of, of parts. I, I don't throw them away, so I can show you how many times I've, I've tried already. But um, and they just split amongst the layers because yeah, it's, sometimes it's, it's PLA. sometimes it's in one spot, another spot. You know, always trying to zero in on making everything really strong. Yeah, because that can be difficult. Layer orientation, right. shape, profile, wall yep. thickness, infill. All that stuff. Yeah. There's a thousand different variables that any any one or combination of them could make it fail. That's right. Uh, so do you do you ever play with any layer orientation, or is it all horizontal layers stacked vertically? Oh, I definitely do um, iso curves. So iso okay. curves mean the z changes during a layer. Okay. So the z height actually goes down and up during one layer. So that. Like in in the polymer end of that sphere, that's non-planar three D printing. Correct. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is is can, that more effective for well, ceramics? Well, uh, yeah. It, it could, depending on your model, right. uh, it can be much more effective. I, I can only do it in uh, Rhino um, Grasshopper. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that's uh, a clay technique that I've been trying with. Uh, like I've been doing a, a heart at an angle, so it can kind of face you. Um, but I've also got done wavy, wavy vases with all the other loops. So I've seen, I've seen some of your typography pieces with the vessel in the middle, mm -hmm. uh, the red rum piece with the heart. Right? Is that one of them? Yeah, there's uh, some non-plater printing in there. Yeah, and and the surface of that heart, it comes up and then it tilts. Yeah, right. That, so right. it yeah. so it is facing you yes. in a way. Now is that I like how technical this conversation is. <laughs> they normally don't get this technical on the show. So um, now with your Delta printer, you've got three points of articulation on the arms, and then you've got a triangular platform that the nozzle's in, and that platform rides up and down those, and it tilts and it angles like that. It doesn't tilt, actually. It stays level the whole time. It does stay level? Yes, so, yes. so you're not tilting the, the nozzle no, at all to print all. on that no. angle. So how do you but get? But could you do angles? it? I'm sure you could do it. <laughs> if you wanted to get in some really tricky yeah, programming, I bet tricky. you could. Yeah. Because, you with with the triangulation of that, yeah. the three arms move up and down on their own columns. You probably could do that. It's, I bet someone will come out with a new firmware that I could upload someday. It, it seems possible. I'll say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if somebody, if it's not, somebody tell me I'm wrong. That's no. <laughs> it's it's possible for sure. So how do you achieve that with your workflow? The non-player? Yeah. Oh, so you, you draw some curves in 3D, and you uh, use a rotation, and you kind of tilt them. Or you can make um, a curve that goes up and down like throughout the whole, the whole layer. Yeah. So um, Rhino 3D is the, the one I use for that. So is this more of a you're stacking layers that one side is thicker than the other, and you eventually yes. build that curve? Yes, so okay. that could be a, a problem because one layer could be um, not enough clay and the other could be too much clay. So sometimes I actually sit there and change the flow amount as it's going around. That's not the way to do it. <laughs> but, I mean, that would give you a real-time idea of yeah. the volume being printed. Though. Yeah, how much, do you, how much more do you need on the left versus the right? Yeah, you know? and is that like... 
layer starts here, goes around, increases volume, and then as it comes back around, it decreases volume back to the original amount. And that's what I've been doing on the on the keyboard, you know, too much too much of that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're sitting here hitting the up and down button, yes. like adjusting oh the volume flow as it goes around the layer. Yes. <laughs> that leaves you a lot of room for error, I, yes, I imagine. Yes, that's right. Oh, man. Um, Sometimes I'll hit like 120%, but I add another zero, and then it goes. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's when you get the problem with your auger, and it will oh, stop yeah, it up. Oh, yeah, it just stops. Yeah. And then you're 70% of the way through the print. Yes, ah, exactly. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah, there's pain there. Uh, I recently used uh, TPU for the first time. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, I was prompted by a coworker to find a material that would work really great for some lawn dart fins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, eh, something flexible, really stiff, might, might work for that. So we settled on some TPU, and uh, I just, man, that particular uh, substance is really, really sensitive to temperature. Oh, I'm sure. And I had no idea. Uh, have you done a temperature tower before? I have not. Oh, yeah, uh, so you, you want to program something that will print a tower with different temperatures yeah, as you go up. I, I'm familiar with, the, you know, the torture tests and all the stuff, yes. you know, the parameters for those those files, and I've just never sat down and been like, I really want to do one yeah. of those. But uh, I would imagine it become very, very useful. Uh, retraction test prints are really where I spend a lot of time. Okay. And, and especially with the TPU, because it likes to ooze, it expands a lot yeah. once it becomes heated. So, you know, you'll you'll start a layer, and all of a sudden there's a big blob on the side. And I'm just like, yeah. all right, that I hate that. <laughs> I hate that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if it's a style you're going for or something, great, but it's generally not. Usually not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I can imagine how that would be useful in, in, a, in a workflow like yours. Because you could create some really interesting visual textures that way. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like you use more profiles to create texture than you do, you know, uh, Blips and bobs, physical yeah. things like that. Uh, I've seen you use uh, like opposing layer um, orientations to make different uh, like different patterns on the surface. Yeah, with uh, the, the loops. It, yeah. Yeah. So I, I love doing that. Um, um, so another thing that you, you were asking about, what's next? So, yeah, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to teach other people how to do this, you know? Yeah. Online. I don't want to, um, I want to have a bunch, a bunch of people tune into a Zoom, um, but I want to be able to provide something to mail them in the mail. Yeah. So they'll, they'll provide me with a file that they've learned to do in the class, and uh I'll be able to print it out on the on the printer and bits fire it, and then mail to them, and they they can gla glaze it and have it uh, completed somewhere else. So um, Brian and I have kind of been talking about doing this, and um, he's a great teacher for online, and I can provide all the technical details as well. The the brain trust. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what? Uh it's an online format, not a whole lot of uh, in-person uh, thing, because most people's robots are at home and they don't like to travel with them, so yeah. it works out. And um, you know, we're going to use my robot for the first for the first try, but eventually we want people to try it on their own on, right. on their ro robots. Because yeah. you're not going to get the full like full experience without having your own machine. Yeah, you should you should get some. Or it would be inspiring if I got something in the mail. And I said, man, I created this with my file. Now yeah. I'm going to want to spend some money to buy a, a robot. And you know what? It's only like 200 
200 bucks to buy an Ender 3. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, especially if you catch them on sale. Oh yeah, just, <laughs> just pick one up. <laughs> they have crazy sales on them sometimes. Like, it's ridiculous. You can get a, a normal, well-operating 3D printer for under 300 bucks. Oh, easily, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I, that level of accessibility for people at home is great. I love it. Uh, if if that weren't the case, I wouldn't have the outlets that I have to be the creative person that I am. Would I rather have a PS5? Ooh, that's, Ooh. A, char- that's a tough choice. <laughs> you know, I'm probably going to spend the same amount of time sitting staring at the thing as it's working. Yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> One of my biggest problems is I will sit there and babysit a print. Oh, my God. I think oh, yeah. everybody that has a 3D printer has this problem. Absolutely. It's like staring into a campfire or mm-hmm. like the fireplace in your house. I, I don't know why, but that's definitely the case. Well, it's, it's looking at the, the stuff melt in front of you and solidify. Yeah. That's kind of it's, fun. It's, uh, I guess it's a constant transformation that never, it's never the same twice. You know, that's you're, right. You're watching it. It's exactly like looking into a campfire. <laughs> so actually today, Brian and I completely um, assembling his Ender 3. Yeah. And he'd had it for a few months and he hadn't put it together yet? I know. How do you do I that? I don't want to throw shade on Brian, but... <laughs> well, how do you do that? I put mine together as soon as I got it out of yeah. the box <laughs> the day it came in the mail. But we, we worked together, and we got it up and running, and it prints great. And I yeah. can see how you, do, you just want to watch it. Mm. Definitely. It's, it's, I hate to say it's mesmerizing because that word has a real impact, in my opinion, but damn. Like, yeah. it's, it's fun, and I hate it because I'll just kick back in my office chair after I hit print and just sit there for the next 45 minutes no i gotta make sure the first layers go down right oh yeah and then an hour later i'm still sitting there and it's like oh mm-hmm. no i was supposed to go start cooking dinner <laughs> yeah it's a mess so other than the obvious differences uh nozzle size medium what are some different uh mechanical things about the the clay printers versus polymer printers um you know those those two are really big, you know? yeah. Yeah. Um, but the difference is, I guess it's good to have um, be able to kind of get the bottom of the printer wet. Yeah. Uh, without having it short out. So no electronics down low or direct or around the the print bed. Yeah, actually, you know, the three D Potter has some motors that are kind of they're not touching the bed, the the table, but they're a little bit above. So it keeps it out of the water if there's. Exactly. Water sitting. So you need some some water clearance there. Okay, that makes that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You you always want to try to get bigger with a clay 3D printer. You know. Yeah. Go go a little bigger if if uh, you had a choice. Yeah, that, that I feel like that's also like a common notion with uh, you know plastic printers too because oh no I don't want to print this thing in three pieces what do I do yeah. well you get a bigger printer. That's right. Um, I also think one of the biggest differences, just from a mechanical standpoint, is the uh, the method of which you deliver things to the, to the nozzle. Like you said, you have an auger oh, yeah. or you have a piston, right? Instead of just like a normal brass toothed gear that Correct. pushes uh, through a Bowden tube or a direct drive. Uh, that's a really serious mechanical difference in these machines. True. So there's couple different ways to deliver clay one's just the piston yeah that's the th- the 3d potter just and that sits on top of the nozzle right yes, and it, it travels with or sorry it stays still and the bottom moves around yeah so just a piston can th- throw the clay around or you can have a piston and an auger, auger. 
or you can have an air compressor with an auger. So there's three choices there for clay. Is there, is there, are they all pretty okay, or does, it, does one work so better than the other? If you have an um, air compressor, you need to have something that could possibly explode, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, compressed air. So that's a little more dangerous. Um, not a lot more, but, you know, for a beginner, you, you might not identify the danger, you know? Right. Um, with a gear-driven, you could run it past its limit point, you know? Yeah. And it could explode itself. It wouldn't be explosive. It would just, like, crack, you know? Yeah, it would, it would be damaging. No, no explosive things. Like, nothing catastrophic would happen other right. than a malfunction. Exactly. So there's <laughs> not going to have parts flying there. around the room. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so there's... Um, three ways to make the clay come out, and uh, yeah, just I, I would recommend recommend the uh, piston with an auger. That way, you can stop and start the print whenever you want. So, where where what's the orientation of the piston and auger? Is it a piston to an auger, auger to a piston? Like where where how do you, they play together? You put the uh, clay in a reservoir, which is like a, a clear pipe. Yeah, and then then the piston pushes on the end of the reservoir, and it pushes it. Uh, either through a tube or directly onto the to the print, I would say um, I'd, I'd like to recommend it goes to an auger next, so it could go directly to the to the auger. Um, that's what I, I could, I'm building one right now that goes right to the auger, and uh, then the auger can start and stop the the clay flow. So that's so would the auger be where you modulate your retraction? More yes, or less? That's right. Okay. Well, both go back and forth together. Right. They're kind of linked together. Okay. So are they moving one-to-one, -one, yes. essentially? Well, you can tell whatever ratio you want. Right. If, you, if yeah. you're programming it, yeah. you can do whatever. Mm -hmm. But ideally... It'll, it'll move it, itself together, yeah. Excellent. And <laughs> there's so many different mechanical things happening to make oh, that yeah. happen. So you, so you have the piston, and that's uh, electric, you know, essentially, right? Stepper, stepper motor. Yeah. And then feeding the auger. Another stepper motor. Uh, how long, it, would you call that a Bowden tube? What, what is There's two, it, like the one I'm building doesn't have a Bowden tube, but the one I have right now working, it does have a Bowden tube. So I feel as if Bowden tubes make things a little less efficient That's because right. of it the does. travel and you lose you pressure. Have to push volume. harder on yeah. the piston. So, like, um, I want this my new machine to have no Bowden tube. You can also put a router on it, so you can make some routed parts, like routing metal, wood. Yeah. Um, Brian recommended, what if you put a what if just routed plaster? You know, a big hunk of plaster. You can make um, clay molds right in the plaster. Yeah, you could. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so is that going to be mounted, you know, on the nozzle at, at the bed? You take the clay off, you put the router right on, and it's the same, same uh, firmware. Excellent. Because uh, there's a lot of multi-use firmware out there nowadays for yeah. additive and subtracting, mm -hmm. uh, subtractive methodologies. Hello. Yeah, I'm doing a podcast. Oh, no, I'm, well, we are performing, but only for ourselves. No, it's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so this is, yeah, of course. Uh, this is the KAAMP. This is the Knoxville Artist Area, Knoxville Area Artist Networking Platform. Yeah, please take a seat. 
Um, but short KAAMP, it's on Spotify, uh, iTunes, Google Podcasts, all this stuff. Uh, my name's Thomas. I sit down and uh, nice to meet you. Uh, I'm Garrett. Yes, this is Garrett. Uh, no, it's fine. We're in public. It happens. <laughs> uh, I sit down and interview people that are uh, creative individuals in and around the Knoxville area. And uh, Garrett is my guest today. He uh, kind, uh, kindly agreed to meet me as a stranger here in public and talk about art. Don't forget, it's, actually, it's also a creative person, too. Oh, 3D printing. So, yep, plastic and clay. Yeah, that's, that's a very popular one. Very, very popular. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Uh, like I said, uh, I've got about 13 or 14 episodes out there right now. Uh, if you want to find us on Spotify, we're there. And uh, I'd appreciate it if you listen. Nice to meet you, too. Oh, thank you. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, enjoy yourself. Yes. You're welcome. That's the first time that's happened. All right. But that's okay. <laughs> I normally don't record in casual pint. <laughs> also, they don't sponsor us in any way, shape, or form. But if they wanted to, they could. I wouldn't tell them no. That's right. <laughs> I did pay for this beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And mine, too. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thank you for meeting me, first of all, now, now that that's a, a been interjected in the conversation. Thank you very much. Um, but, yeah, we were talking about extrusion methods, right? That's where we were. Yeah. Um, you said augers, pistons. Uh, where were we? Mm. Concrete printing. Concrete printing, yeah, some yes. of that. Um, so that uses pretty much the same thing. You got yeah. a, 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 a mortar mover. Or a, it's called a positive displacement pump. Is and it the auger? It's kind of like an auger, but it actually has a different shape to it for the mortar. Uh, is that like it has cams and lobes on it to mix, or is it strictly to move material? It's moving with material. It's strictly moving. Yeah. So it's like a round um, auger. It's not like a sharp-edged auger. Right. It's more of a round one that moves a positive displacement. Displacement, I guess. I don't know. I, I feel like that's just longhand for saying it takes stuff from here to go to there. Absolutely. <laughs> but engineers speak. Yeah. Yeah. And technical other stuff. pumps, they kind of provide a pressure. Yeah. This was displacement. This just moves. So yeah. it's not like, like you said, it's not providing pressure or, you know. Well, uh, it is, but it, it, do, it doesn't guarantee I'll provide this much pressure. Right. It's yeah. not a quantified this pressure at yes. this at this velocity, exactly. blah, blah, blah. So right. it's. It's more of a, I'm going to flow this much in this amount of time. Exactly, yes. It's, it's what, volume per second? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is that is it just volume per second, or is it cubed or anything like that? Anything I don't fancy? know. <laughs> All right, fine. That's, as long as it's volume per second. I think my machine at home is set to 15, 15 cubic centimeters. A filament. Okay. Uh, that is a PLA. Okay. Might be cubic millimeters per second. Now that I'm thinking about it, but what what are the volumetric measurements for your output? Do you know for concrete? No, no, for your uh, for your clay. Oh, um, you know what? I I just think about how long it takes to print in whole 1.5 right. liters. You know, uh, and is that your hopper size? More yeah, 1.5 okay. liters. Uh, um, I'd say you could print the whole thing in about four hours. 
And you, you have a pretty steady layer time, right? Like yeah. you don't have a lot of drastic changes in your layer no, time because the same, yeah. you're printing vessels that are generally a somewhat uniform shape. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's that's cool one with all the infill yeah. changes, but I'd say mostly are round vessels. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot like SLA printing where you just have a standard layer time mm -hmm. no matter what. Oh, yeah, because that's right. I've never used one, but yeah. I haven't either, but I am familiar with, uh, you know, it's all... UV, you know, light reactive resin. Right. So every 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 layer takes the same amount of time because it's just one flash of light. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I find that really entertaining. It is. <laughs> it's it's a lot easier to judge that way because one of the worst aspects I think of uh, polymer printing is the print time estimations. Oh yeah. And that that bugs the crap out of me. Don't don't rely on that. No. Uh, I usually just go double whatever the computer yeah. says, <laughs> and that and that's my general rule of thumb for print times. Oh, it says four hours. Eight hours. Nah, <laughs> that's a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. So, is that is that four hours pretty consistent? Have you done any longer prints with your materials, or is that kind of the limit with what you're doing? I've, I usually break it up into like three prints over one. Um, syringe so it doesn't always take four hours right so could take overnight and the and the syringe is what you call what i referenced as your hopper earlier, correct right like because hopper, it has yeah. the piston and pushes yep. through, yeah so that sounds I, way cooler <laughs> I've, I've tried porcelain in there and it doesn't really stay overnight very long hmm. um it kind of when you have a constant piston pushing on it it loses a lot of, a lot of water oh yeah because it's under pressure the other types of clay, like a grog, uh, B-mix clay, doesn't lose as much water, so that's good. So if it's if it's in a pressurized container, like the syringe, um, if you were to go, you know, hit pause and wait overnight, do you release any of that pressure? Do you just let it sit? Oh yeah. First of all, the clay will shrink right over the night overnight Be because it loses water. It loses water, yeah, and also the the. The pressure from the piston will cause water to leak out, and I've got mine kind of at an angle, so it leaks toward the back. Oh yeah, so it, it just it's gravity out. keeps the water out of the out of the way. Now the 3D potter has a different orientation, so when it leaks, it'll go down downward. So that's good. So does that keep the the print surface wet, more or less? Yeah, it'll keep the clay wet as it comes out. So that's okay. that's a good improvement. And does that help with layer adhesion at all? Oh yeah, theoretically. The the wetter it is is good, but it also doesn't help the collapse. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's there's the fine line of how much water yeah. is too much water, and then it falls over if there's That's too right. much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've never thought about that, but yeah, it makes perfect sense. That's I'm sure that can be just ridiculous to the point of infuriating. Or just go on the safe side and build something kind of vertical, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Not a not a lot of drastic change. Right. Right. Do you end up printing things upside down often, or do you just normally do them upside right side down. up? Like um, pulling a whole printer upside down? No, 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 just printing the file upside down on your print bed. Like, does that ever come into play? You know what? Um, I've, thought of, I've thought of doing some of that, but um, now I just print it from the bottom up, you know? We've got right. some neighbors next yeah, to us. Yeah, they got some noisy neighbors. Um, what's over there? Is that Don? What is it? Don Julio. The, yeah, Don Julio, the Mexican restaurant. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've found in my applications there are some profiles of shapes that just do better upside down. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, For supports and all that. Yeah, yeah. And you 
kind of never know what it's going to be either. You just yeah. throw things on the print bed and see how they slice. And mm -hmm. I, supports are almost like they're so bittersweet. Have you ever seen the? They have kits now that take your Ender three and put it at a forty-five degree angle, and that then you can print things normally. Yeah. And then it'll actually wipe off the old print after it's done, so you can print it again. Oh yeah, I've seen that, and the and the uh, the continuous printer mill stuff too on the conveyor yes, belt. That's another one. I really want to see what those conveyor belts are yeah, made I've out of. I've never tried one because if they're if the bed adhesion is spot on every time on this conveyor belt, what's this conveyor belt made out of? Is it textured? I have questions. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, have you seen um, five axis in the way that the workpiece moves? I've seen a little bit, but, yeah, I've, but I've seen that in printing, and there's a lot of it in industrial machining right now, and it's yeah. slowly bleeding over into the additive sure hope, manufacturing. I sure hope it's, it becomes as cheap as an Ender three. Yeah, <laughs> that great. would be nice, because then you don't have to program any you know non-planar stuff. The yeah. bed does all the work. That's right. So you know your print head only moves laterally and vertically, and then mm -hmm. no other shenanigans. Yeah. I, I, I love all the advancements in mm -hmm. this. In this desktop era of manufacturing, it's great. Right. Um, the next thing I really want to get into, I want to get a, I want to get a CNC mill about the same size as my Ender Three, just okay. just to have some subtractive manufacturing tools tools yeah. to play with. Make some aluminum parts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I would also, you know, like Snapmaker has that three-in-one laser oh, yeah. CNC and three D. I've looked at that. Yeah, those are very nice machines. I uh, think Brian wants one. <laughs> I bet he does. I want one. Uh, I just, they're pricey, but I think they're worth it if every single one of those units works just as good as one dedicated machine for that purpose. You know. Well, Maybe a little less perfect, but yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. That's that's the thing when you have a multi-use machine. Like it's going to be ninety-two percent across all aspects, that's right, not a hundred percent for one aspect. Right. Um, but still, if it's as good as Snapmaker says it is, then cool. Y'all can send me one. <laughs> Please. Yeah. I'll t I'll gladly try it out. Uh, but yeah, uh, laser engraving is something that I find really neat, and there are people in my artistic sphere that are really getting into it and it makes me insanely jealous <laughs> yep. i really want to try it uh i i have a i have a gentleman that uh he's making a lot of uh, living hinge boxed enclosures oh, yeah. and it's so neat and you just open up the top and they just fold open yep. no no mechanical hardware no nothing it's just you know they've cut patterns into the wood and it folds and bends it's great. great yeah i i'm very surprised every time I see something that should be hard, stiff, and flat make a curve. Yep. Um, Compliant engineering, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, there's also, like, thermo flex. This is a little bit removed from the topic of conversation, but uh, uh, thermo uh, thermodynamic materials where they have a, a, a physical memory, and then hmm. you apply heat, and then they fold up or fold out or assemble right. themselves in some way. That's crazy. Haven't seen that with 3D printing, but yeah, yeah. another there, technology. There are polymers out there that do that. Oh yeah, okay. I don't know if I don't know if there's any in a filament format yet. Right. And Someday. if you did, how would you program that memory? I don't know. Someday there will be, I'm sure. Give it time. Yep. <laughs> Give it time. So, um, outside of things we've already touched on, is there is there anything that are you excited to get up in the morning and go do this every day because you don't know what's next? Well, yeah, because um, first of all, um, 
Well, I got to feed the the cats every day. I so got to feed the cats. They they yeah. meow at me every morning. Yeah, they do. So, <laughs> I, so I definitely want to get up, make them stop meowing, but <laughs> um, then they get on the computer, and yeah, it's it's fun to try to try something new every day. Do you ever uh, do you ever get uh, you know creative block just from the sheer possibilities of what you're doing? Oh sure, yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll go go into a space where I see someone somebody doing something beyond my ability and they'll say man I should just take a break you know <laughs> and I can't I'll never be able to do that but you know little by little it's it's I feel as if a lot of workflows build on themselves a lot because uh, you know I've made jewelry with my 3d printer and then the first time I was like oh I'm gonna make something that I could call jewelry mm-hmm. now I'm able to make things that people actually want to wear good yeah. and and it's you know, it's the blank sheet of paper isn't always something to be scared of, but every now and again it'll get you. Oh yeah, it will get you. And I try, I try when that happens just to do something anyway for the practice of doing something. That's a good. I, I agree. I mean, you might find something that you didn't know you could do. Yeah, and just yeah. there on the piece of paper, yeah, just all random because you just sat down to do something and you didn't know what. Uh, I mean, there there are definitely days where I sit down to paint and I have my blacked out canvas and I'm just like, I don't know what to do, but I draw lines and grab a brush and go at it anyway. A lot of times I'll start a, uh, doing something and then I'll find um, a place where I lack the skills, so I'll Google it. I'll I'll do a little Google search and it's pretty easy to do, so I do it, you know, yeah. and then I have a new ability. Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, there's a new skill in the toolbox. Yeah. There's, there's a new a new a new avenue for expression. I'm trying to think of an example of something I've I've done in that vein as of late. I uh, uh, mechanical fitment, oh, yeah. like, like subtractive manufacturing. I've tried to engineer that into some of the things I've made on the printer. Uh, you know, trying to account for tolerances with with the FDM as they can be wonky. Yeah. Uh, but from my trials and errors, I think I've done okay. I've got pieces that fit really smoothly inside one another. That's great. And I'm pretty proud of that. Like, uh, I, everyone's difficult. proud of it, yeah. It's very difficult. Way more difficult than it sounded. Uh-huh. Because, like, oh, yeah, you just do this and a kiss, and you, you account for this tolerance here and make sure your attack is no. that <laughs> so you don't have these blobs. And I go do all those things, and it still doesn't work. And then you tweak this and tweak that, and then it's like three weeks later you finally figure it out. Yeah, that's about right. It's um, that has definitely helped me, like figuring out tolerances and like just how tight I can push my machine. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I've got a four tenths nozzle on it right now. I had a two tenths nozzle on it, and I was printing at uh, five one hundredths of a layer height, just just to small. see if I could. It's very small. Yeah. Just to see if I could do it in an effective manner. Of course, the print times were just stupid long, <laughs> but. I, uh, I managed to make some very um, pleasing pieces because the execution was there. Not that they were spectacular amongst themselves, but you know, technically, I was pleased with the outcome. Sure. Uh, I, I feel as if going big and going small in this in this format are equally difficult. Oh yeah. Just difficult in different ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never had a print slump over. 
Oh. <laughs> but, but I've definitely had some fall over. And, you know, like yes. I said, expensive spaghetti. Cracking spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, and I've definitely had some that, um, you know, the raft or the or the skirt just didn't even happen because, oh, yeah. you know, your your uh, bed level or your nozzle or something, it's just the too close. Wrong, there's, yeah. there's a thousand different ways that can mess up. Yep. Do you have any, like, are, are there any common mistakes in your workflow that you make you have to work out, walk, oh, yeah, watch so out for? I've got five different plastic pr printers, and they all are different uh, in terms of the, the nozzle, you know? Yeah. Um, maybe it's because I don't buy the most expensive parts, you know? So sometimes <laughs> it's a uh, 210 is the best um, temperature, and other times 230, you know? Even yeah. 270. Um, that's, there's something wrong with, with that, but I just, you know, <laughs> I haven't gone around to fixing it yet. But um, so yeah, each printer is different, and I share files between them, and I need to monitor that temperature for sure. Yeah, that's uh, bed heat. Oh yeah, bed temperature is always, always something that gets me. Yeah, sometimes you have to kind of actually put your hand on the bed to see if it's hot enough. Yeah, because you know, you know. You know <laughs> You know that the thermistor is measuring yeah. the temperature of the heating element mm -hmm. and not the bed itself. And so it might sometimes be, it not, may not, might not be coupled to the bed, you know. Yeah, or the the, the physical contact between the two for the heat transfer isn't or, as tight as or it just should a be. loose wire, you know. <laughs> These darn machines, man! I tell yeah. you, <laughs> there's there's a lot to them, as simple as they are. Like yep. they they keep you busy. Mm -hmm. They really, really do. So we're at an hour 24 right now. That's usually about as long as I care to endure listeners to. Um, I usually ask, um, are there other people in, in the area or in general that you would like to hear in a format like this? One, because I want to know who you're into. And two, I want to know who else I should have on because I don't want to run out of guests. So... Mm. Who, who would you like to listen to in this format? Who are some local people that you would like to uh, have so, me pick their brain? Other than Brian, because he's been mentioned already. So there's actually a high school colleague of mine. I mean, an alumni of mine. Yeah. I, I should probably, I need to get in touch with her more, but her name is Je Jessie Vanderlaan. Okay. She's a print artist, and uh, she had a, a show with Brian in the same studio. Oh, okay. So... They had the they shared the same studio last Friday or maybe yeah one one month ago or so, and yeah I'd like to hear what she's up to. Yeah, anybody else? That's it. All right, that works for me, man. One's better than none. Yeah. Um, Garrett, thank you very much for sitting down with me to have this conversation. Uh, this conversation was a bit more technical than I normally get, oh, but good. we share a very niche interest for, on very different ends of this niche interest spectrum, and I was super happy to sit down and talk to you about this. Likewise. Um, I think clay and ceramic 3D printing is amazing because it's so different from every other format of 3D printing. And I think the things people can make with their clay printers are absolutely wonderful and practical and unique in every single way. And I'm just happy this exists and I can talk to people that do it. So uh, once again, thank you very much. And I'm going to play us out. Oh, uh, what are your socials? Where can people find you? Tell us all that stuff. Oh, yeah, my Instagram um, alias is Tinker and Print. Tinker and print. And that's uh, all lowercase, no spaces, no hyphens, no that's nothing right. crazy. And uh, 
You've got what is? Do you have like a a, a centaur and a, with a rainbow the, tail or something? Yeah, what is a, it? A, on Etsy, I have the shop called Sassy Centaur. Okay, is that your your logo for a yes, Sassy Centaur? I made that logo. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, so Tinker and Print and Sassy Centaur on Etsy. That's where you can find this man's work. Go check it out. It's good stuff. I follow him on Instagram, and you should too. Uh, thank you very much. And now I'll play us out. <laughs> That was the show. I hope you enjoyed all the relevant social media and website links will be in the episode description for the featured artist today. And if you yourself or know an artist that you would like to be or see on the platform, shoot me an email. It'll be listed somewhere on here. I'll try to make it plainly evident for you, but, uh, thank you very much for listening and I'll see you next time.